If you're a regular listener, then you know we have two types of episodes, our doable tips and our family talk episodes, where we talk with families who have been through this process. I'm your host, Valerie Borgman, and today I'm excited to welcome back Peter Gallagher, who you may remember from our doable tip episode on moving from your home to senior living. Today, Peter is sharing his family's story, including his experience living across the country from his parents, having those uncomfortable conversations, and his Shirley MacLaine moment. With COVID coming onto our world, we kind of set out verbal warnings to them, you know, living across country, saying, this is really sounding serious. It's going to mean that you're going to have to kind of restructure your lives and how you interact. So this was very hard for them to accept our, okay, we need to kind of step back from this a little bit, folks. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Senior Living, a podcast for sons, daughters, grandkids, and spouses who suddenly find themselves tangled in the search for senior living and care. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and check out our doable download in today's show notes for a printable summary of the show and a bonus tip from our guest. My parents are still very much alive to this day. My dad will be turning 90 coming up this February. And uh, my mom, even though she'll be very upset if I reveal her age, is five years younger. (laughs) So (laughs) they have been longtime residents, uh, born and raised in upstate New York. They became snowbirds, acquiring a condo down in central Florida. So would go back and forth. And for the majority of their lives have actually been pretty healthy, active people. With COVID coming onto our world, we kind of set out verbal warnings to them, you know, living across country saying, this is really sounding serious. It's going to mean that you're going to have to kind of restructure kind of your lives and how you interact. And my mom is a very social person, very connected to family and friends. And that involves weekly lunches out with the ladies and so forth. And my dad, very active in the Catholic church. So this was very hard for them to accept our, okay, we need to kind of step back from this a little bit, folks. How did they take that? (laughs) They, not well. My mother in particular was trying to circumvent, well, what if I sit a chair over and rather than just say, okay, I acknowledge I can't socialize in the manner I have, how could I do it differently? You know, the whole mask thing, that was a tough sell as well. Christmas 2019 or 2020, they were down here in Florida. And after Christmas had planned to get together with friends uh, meeting for lunch. And we were like, please do not go. There was no masking. There was no social distancing. And much to our dismay, they went and had lunch with this group of friends who two days later called and said that two of them had tested positive. And within the week, the remainder of them tested positive. And my, both my parents came down with symptoms. Oh my gosh. It, uh, you know, at the time, my mom was the one who started feeling worse. He took her to the emergency room and they would not, of course, let him in at that point. So she went in and, you know, God bless my mom, but she has very little patience. Walked into an emergency room full of people, told it's going to be several hours. Actually sat there, I think, for about four and a half hours before she just said, that's it, I'm done. And so she walked out because she also knew my father was waiting in the car. And of course, in their age group, 
only one of them had the cell phone, which was my mom. And, you know, so, you know, no, nobody from the desk would go out and you know, alert my father because I didn't know what his condition was. So she just left totally upset. Fortunately, at that point, the next day, my sister was able to come. And on the advice of other friends that we'd met here in Florida, they highly said, do not go back to this particular hospital. Oh, wow. It's known that it's sub-average care. And they said, the next closest one, which is about 25 minutes away, will be the better place to go. Well, within that 24-hour period, my dad also started getting symptoms. They were both extremely fatigued, running fevers. So my sister, God bless her, was there and coordinating via phone as best we can and got them up to the uh, hospital. Both were um, admitted right away into the emergency room. This hospital was much better designed to accept and work with COVID patients. My mom, it turned out she had pneumonia, and which was kind of her primary issue at this point, but not bad enough given the number of COVID people they were dealing with that they felt she needed to be admitted. They gave her an antibiotic and protocol to follow at home. And with my sister there, that was viable. But my dad was like the second he walked in the hospital door, he just went right downhill. Oh, no. And so they not only admitted him right away, but got him into the intensive care COVID wing. Dad ended up being in the hospital about 18 days. They got him through the worst of it. The blessing was, while he probably should have gone on a ventilator, all their ventilators were being used at that point, and they were blessed to get these kind of temporary uh, ventilators that are not, you don't have to be knocked out, can wear it for a couple of hours, take it off, eat something, get up, go to the bathroom, that sort of thing. So they're not as intrusive. Correct. And you think that was a good thing. It, it was a really good thing because it, it gave my father at least the ability to talk with us. You know, we hooked up with the nurse. We got on FaceTime through, you know, got him an iPad. So we're able to connect, you know, the hospital would only allow one family member a day in, you know, things were strict enough that they were only allowing one person for a two hour visit maximum. I flew out second portion of his stay. And my sister, God bless her, she works full time. She was able to do some of her work remotely, but really needed to go back. My father's condition did improve, but 18 days in bed, just he was in a fragile state to begin with. So he really, he lost so much poor muscle tone. And the duration of that time frame for him, I could see cognitively a significant decline to the point where on day 17, I could see in a few comments he was able to make to me that if he didn't get out of there right away, that was it. He just was figuring that he was going to die there and was, you know, ready to throw in the chips. That next day I went in and basically did what I call my Shirley MacLaine moment from Terms of Endearment. Oh my gosh, I love this. <laughs> okay, so you have to tell us exactly how that went down because you have to advocate. Absolutely. You have to advocate. Absolutely. And I had to be borderline rude and offensive to the nurse to really get her to appreciate that I was taking my dad home regardless of whether or not they were going to officially release him. I was firm, but I was adamant. And I did, you know, at one point outside of my father's room, I just went off on who was ever within hearing distance and said, I'm sorry, I don't want my father to die here. He's in that frame of mind where if he continues on one day more, that's what's going to happen. And he needs to come home today to our care. 
And we will just apologize to all of the, <laughs> yes, exactly. the nurses and staff members. But at the same time, I get it. That's so important. You're the one who knows your dad best. Right. It's true. That's true. And, you know, given that this hospital was really kind of on the brink of complete overwhelm, their resistance was the fact that, you know, they needed to have the COVID doctor come in and do one last assessment. And then he needed to be on oxygen. So we had to have that arranged before they could release him. So there were a number of hurdles, which in a normal setting would take a day or two. In a COVID setting could take a week or more. But I just, I held firm and, you know, I had his bag packed. I stood by the door every time the nurse went by. I firmly, but, you know, adamantly said, come four o'clock, he's, he's leaving. Wow. And, you know, she got it and she said, I will do the absolute best I can. I can't guarantee anything given the state of the hospital, but she got the message out to the right people. We got them all hooked up with oxygen right away, came with a wheelchair. I mean, it just... Granted, it wasn't by four o'clock exactly, but by 5.30, we were in the car driving back to the house. So Wow. Now, did he have like IVs? Did he have all these things that they had to take off? Yes. So it was a big deal. Yeah. As his COVID improved, they kept moving. He actually was moved to, I think, five different room settings. Mm. And, you know, he was in intensive care the longest, nine days. And then it was like every other day, they moved him down to one step level, less of care. So that by the last day, it was, you know, a nurse would come in in the morning and in the afternoon. You go from that intensive care where they're like at your bedside every time you raise an eyebrow. (laughs) It's a bit of a challenge because it's like, where did everybody go? I think that was the difficulty for my dad because he needed that interaction as much as just the reassurance that they could provide that, yep, we can see you're slowly improving here. What was that like for your mom being separate from your dad for those 18 days? It was emotionally devastating for her because there was a point where we got very close and we knew we could lose dad within the next hours if he, if he didn't rally. Fortunately, he did. At her age, that this is the moment couples all fear and dread is, am I going to lose my spouse? They've been married 61 years. So that was really devastating emotionally, as well as just her dealing with her own COVID symptoms, her pneumonia, fatigue from all of that, on top of trying to be as supportive as she can for my dad. She really only went in to go see him one time, but you know, we would go in with the phone to FaceTime so they could at least see each other. Now, did you have power of attorney at this point? I am the way it's set up. Actually, my sister has medical power of, t- of attorney. I have financial power of attorney. Sue has, based on her background and work experience, has more medical hands-on experience than I do. So I really trust her to to navigate that. The the blessing for all of us, you know, my sister and her brother, so three of us all together, is that we're really on the same page as to what's best for my parents. But you know, there comes a point when, when you're the person standing in the hospital, you have to step up and be the one in charge. Shirley McLean it. <laughs> Absolutely. Shirley McLean it. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's so important. And a lot of families don't even know about power of attorney. And don't, so I think that's great that you guys already yes. had that in place. And again, I'll just share that that was a difficult conversation. 
uh, to have with my parents, which we'd only had had, but we'd been working on it for three to five years. And it really only happened about three years earlier. They were just like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. And, you know, kept putting it off and putting it off. And my dad being the frugal man, it was, you know, he didn't want to spend that kind of money. And I'm like, no, 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 we can do it very inexpensively. Finally got all that information in place and they updated their wills. And fortunately, the elder care attorney they were working with insisted at the same time, we do financial power of attorney, medical power of attorney, living wills as well, which I know my dad has done his, but my mother is, she doesn't like to talk about stuff like that. I'm like, it's important. We want to fulfill your wishes here. We want to follow a protocol that you would want. It's hard, I think, for all of us to comprehend that moment where we cognitively or physically just are not able to answer those questions directly for a doctor. I mean, do you want to be resuscitated? You know, usually in those drama-filled medical moments, you can't voice, no, 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 I don't want to be resuscitated or, you know, whatever your wishes are. Exactly. It's so important. Oh my gosh. I just, in the arena I work, I've encountered too many folks who don't and the complexity that it creates in their lives and the drama for the family. It's just, if they had realized that a couple hundred dollars would have alleviated all of this and allowed them to be present for dealing with the situation rather than worrying about the medical financial uh, aspects of it all is it's so worth it to to take care of that and it's and it's a peace of mind especially as a child of uh, aging adult just to know that okay it's going to happen yeah and to have these ducks all uh, lined up in a row just is is huge it's worth the three to five years Absolutely. of uncomfortable conversations. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And it, it, it's such that as I had to have that Shirley McLean moment in the hospital, the nurse's station, you kind of have to work toward that with your family as well, especially if they're reticent for any number of reasons, just, well, we'll put it off, put it off. That's, that's, you know, the worst excuse. Because we all know something can happen in a moment's notice and change the dynamic. Exactly. So at this point, you guys had been in Florida for how many weeks? Yeah, basically between my sister, myself, and then my brother, who was able to get one week, we probably covered about a 11-week period where we, one of us was with them to get through the whole episode and then really help with dad's uh, recovery. Coming out of the hospital, he pretty much was wheelchair bound. Really, I had to kind of learn to walk again. You know, the wonderful thing for my dad is he is a stubborn Irishman <laughs> and he was bound and determined that he was going to walk again. That was an incredible blessing he gave to himself because he pushed and would often completely exhaust himself walking from one side of the room to the other, but he did it. And the PT people that came in two, three times a week to work with him for an hour here and an hour there were like, Jim, you are doing it. You are making great progress here. And, you know, in the end, looking back, he was disappointed that his body didn't respond quicker, but he's able to walk with a cane today. Not that he's 100%, but I would say he's 90% recovered. Wow. Yeah, really quite a blessing. Today's episode is brought to you by ClearPath Senior Living Solutions. ClearPath helps families find assisted living, memory care, and other resources. Find our contact information in today's show notes. 
then when they moved back or went back to their home in New York, did you go back to Washington State? Did someone stay with them through that transition? My sister flew back up with them to New York as just the flight, all that. They really needed assistance at that point and stayed with them for about a week. And then my brother, fortunately, he and his wife are about five minutes away from where my parents live. They would be able to check on them on a fairly regular basis and you know be there if anything arose. Of course, the challenge is the condo that they live in in New York a second level with 17 steps going up. And again, this is another one of those conversations for years. We've been, when they bought this, we we paid to have an electrical outlet installed at the bottom of the stairs so that a chairlift, if needed, could go in easily. That's really smart. (laughs) Yes, yes. That was, you know, and it was cost effective to do it at that point. It's a discussion we've been having, kind of like the power of attorney conversation. It's like, well, I think you're really starting to see value in doing this. However, their stairway is it's kind of one where you go up seven stairs, there's two little landings with a step, and you have to go up another set of stairs. That's the most expensive kind of chairlift you get. Just not the straight line up. But they do make them. It's all completely viable. And but it was probably going to run somewhere between fifteen to eighteen thousand to install that. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Chair chairlifts. You know, we've actually through Sash been able to remove and sell existing chairlifts because they are expensive. And even the older ones, which you can sell for a couple of thousand, really do the same kind of job as the newer ones. That's great to know. Yes, as long as a professional puts it in and just assures that everything is in good working order. So at that point, the conversation, was it about, do we need to get the chairlift or was it about moving to a different location? Both. both. We really wanted to get them back to Florida where they would be in a one-level house. Just the environment of Central Florida where they would be living, it's a gated 55 plus community. All the amenities are much closer than they were back where they were living in New York. Traffic is better. It just, it feels safer all the way around for them to be here. And what was their reaction at this point? (laughs) Well, you know, the, the, the obstacles to this move is that my mom still has significant family in that area that she's very close to. She has two sets of married cousins who have also been married 61 years. They've all grown up together. They've known each other all their lives. So it just, you don't physically separate from them uh, for her. We're still at a point where they're not willing to give up the New York condom, but we did get them down here sooner. The interesting thing that happened this fall prior to them coming to Florida was that both had gone in to have a cardio check and the cardiologist discovered my mom had significant blockage in the arteries and valve to her heart. And within two days, rushed her in to have two stents put in. One artery was 80% blocked. And then a couple of weeks later, needed to have a, a valve replacement on the artery coming out as that was severely damaged. So within a month, you know, two significant heart procedures, which What's interesting is that her doctor was kind of surprised that she had shown no physical signs of heart distress. 
no chest pain, no shortness of breath, and made the comment that all these months she had been actually living under her symptoms. She just had gotten to a point in her life where she was doing so little, napping two, three times a day, not doing any significant physical exertion, that she didn't get any of the physical symptoms that you would normally associate with this. However, her fatigue and her ambition and motivation was also at a record low. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. So she she just adjusted her life so that she wasn't <laughs> putting that that stress on her heart. Just adjusted her life so that it, right exactly. But you know, we my sister and I had several conversations in kind of the couple of weeks leading up to this cardiologist appointment which we pushed for saying it's just she's not right. And we couldn't we didn't know enough. They both kind of came out of COVID with that COVID brain fog and but the follow-up physician appointments didn't really cement the connection or was, you know, there, I think it's, we still know so little about long-term COVID issues, especially ones that are on a little bit more of a minor scale, but still affect your day-to-day living. So could never get a definitive answer as to, was it COVID-related? And my mom kind of held on to that. Well, it's, you know, I have COVID brain today. I can't talk. That was a common (laughs) (laughs) excuse. So that was, uh, yeah, interesting. And also led us to kind of really stay as connected as we could. Both my sister and I would take turns whenever they went to any doctor, we would have one of my parents with the cell phone so that we could hear because both of them have significant hearing issues. My mother does wear hearing aids, but inconsistently and forgets to check her batteries. And my father, again, being the stubborn Irishman, (laughs) doesn't believe he has a hearing problem, but can't hear (laughs) half of, you know, (laughs) what's going on. So they make an interesting pair. Conversations (laughs) at the dinner table are always entertaining because you never know what's going to come out of anybody's mouth. (laughs) I love um, how you have been able to sort of, it sounds like really laugh through what I am sure was a lot of stress. <laughs> yes, it, it, and it has been. And, you know, that is a blessing of our family is that we we do know how to laugh and poke fun of things, even in the drama-filled moments, because it just, that's who we are. And my dad has always been a firm believer that laughter is the best medicine. So he, more than anyone, really appreciates when we can poke fun at a situation and just uh, bring as much humor and levity to, you know, difficult moments. Yeah. So what is the update? Where is everything sort of at right now? So the update is that my parents are here in Florida and now Terry and I are here in Florida. We had many long conversations. Florida was kind of a retire to place five, 10, 15 years down the road, but recognizing after my dad went through COVID that they need someone close by. And What helped facilitate the decision for us was Terry being able to move his job and being able to work remotely. She's doing a great job of, I will have a career change of some sort ahead of me, still kind of figuring that out, but I am kind of wrapping up my business in Seattle, have been back and forth all summer, and we're here. I I took them out shopping this morning. You know, I just have to chuckle to myself, the folks that you always hate to get behind the line in the, in the grocery store who are, you know, pulling pennies out of their pockets and <laughs> now have to pay with cash and are a dollar short and 12 cents short. And my mother dumping the contents of her purse all over the counter to, you know, and you can see the frustration on the people behind them are like, a oh, lady, what is this all about? <laughs> that, that's what they are. 
so you made that difficult decision, which I think a lot of out of state families struggle with. Should I move mom and dad to us or should we move to them? And you, you made that decision to move closer to them. Which again was a huge, you know, I think looking back, had we known all that we would have to go through to make the transition, we might've rethought it <laughs> when we first, you know, uh, moving from one side of the country to the other is not an easy feat. Even if you downsize as much as we did, still not enough. And just the, the logistics, all new environment, all new political climate and weather. <laughs> yes. Weather. And which is, that's been nice, but it's, it's interesting. And for both of us as well, it, it was the decision that we made at this point saying, you know, we want to do this to support my parents at this time, but this may not be a, we live here for the rest of our lives. You know, cementing it like that, that, oh my God, we're here and now we're stuck here for the rest of our lives. <laughs> has not, and not that it, it may turn out we love it. And surprisingly, we are quite pleased with everything we've encountered so far. I've met some great neighbors and who doesn't love a little more sunshine in their life. I love ending on sunshine. Yes. Peter, thank you so much for sharing your story. So what would, with everything that you've been through, what would be the number one doable tip that you would have for families in this situation? I think I go back to just believing that you can become a firm advocate, whatever the situation is for your family. And that, you know, in doing that, it's okay to get a little forceful or a little upset. Caregivers, folks that work hospitals, doctors, and nurses really do want the best and sometimes are too close to see removing a patient from the hospital or having them stay longer than they want to is in their best interest. And that input from family or, you know, significant caregiver really is so, so critical. Advocacy, you can do it. Check out this episode's doable download in show notes for details, including industry terms and definitions we discussed, as well as a bonus tip from our guest. Have questions or your own tips to share? Leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, make it doable.